Welcome to Southside Community Church. Enjoy our Sunday morning message. So in northern Minnesota, about an hour north of Duluth, there is a a piece of property that's called Wilderness North. And Wilderness North hosts a camp called Leadership Quest. And Leadership Quest is a place that I used to take teenagers every Sunday. We would go to this beautiful, wild area. There were uh, timber wolves up there. There were bears. There was just a a bunch of really cool things. So the the goal was to really just scare the daylights out of the teenagers so they would listen to everything that we said because we'd say, you have to listen in order to stay alive. But it was a great, great camp. And it would be, you'd have to do an interview process to even go to this camp. And there were several other churches that would be there at the same time. It was run by an organization called Tent Makers. And it was fantastic. We would train the teenagers how to be intentional about their lives, essentially. So we would go up there and the guys would sleep in one part of the woods um, in tents. And the, the ladies and the girls would sleep in another part of the woods in tents. And we, it was a very, not regimented, but it was a very organized time because the goal was to teach teenagers to be intentional with their lives. So the first day we'd give them what we call a life management plan. And this life management plan, every time we would do a lecture or a teaching, we would give them another sheet to put in this three ring binder that was their life management plan. And we would teach them things like how to do quiet time and then how to lead a Bible study, how to um, make goals how to dream about things that you want to become and things that you want to do one day, how to think bigger and move your life in that direction, how to discover how God has gifted you. It was very, very good, sophisticated training for teenagers. But then it was also a pretty organized schedule, like I said. So you would get up in the morning and you'd do your quiet time first and it would be really, really early. And then if you wanted to take a shower, you could do that. You had to chop your own wood, start your own fire, heat up the steel drum with water in it, put it in a shower bladder, and take a shower outside. And then there were chores. You had to blaze a trail through the middle of this dense woods. But every day, the goal was play hard, study hard, sleep hard, work hard. And at the beginning of the week, the teenagers loved it. I mean, they hated it. They hated it. At the end of the week, they loved it because they developed an appetite for work and for diligence. It was really, really sweet. And at the end of the week, they would make these goals. They would go back home and they would say, here's what we want to do for the summer. Here's how we want to be intentional with our time and with our lives. And the first week back, they did it. They would get up super early. Um, They would be intentional with their time. They would help their parents around the house. They would find chores to do. At the end of the second week home, they started to slack off a little bit. They were sleeping in a little bit more. At the end of the third week, they were back to what they were before they went to the camp. And there's a principle in there. There's a a lesson in there for us, and that is there is an undercurrent in our lives that's an invisible undercurrent that's very powerful that's pulling us back to the people we used to be. Now, if you're, if you're here, this applies for everybody. This could be someone that's just trying to improve your life. If you're not yet a follower of Jesus, you're still exploring. This applies to you. It also applies to other believers who have the Spirit of God in us. There is this undercurrent that's pulling us back to the lesser version of ourselves, where we just 
get back into bad habits. We start slacking off on ways that we pursue Christ together. We start becoming the type of person we were before we surrendered our lives to Christ. It's a powerful, powerful but subtle force. It's like when you're out in the ocean and you're swimming and you're jumping waves and you don't even realize it, but after playing in the ocean for 15 minutes, you suddenly look up and you see that you're like 100 yards away from where your blankets and your towels are because of this strong current of water pulling you in a direction. And that's actually a good image and picture of the Christian life. As you begin to follow God, the Spirit helps you. He makes you a new person. And then you spend the rest of your life living into this new identity of a beloved child of God. The Spirit helps you do that. But we gradually begin to feel the undercurrent and we look up every now and again and we have to walk back out onto the beach and walk back to where our towels were and start over. That's part of what it looks like. It's an imperfect metaphor, but it's part of what it looks like to live the Christian walk. And that's what Paul is talking about in today's passage. We're going through the book of Ephesians. And today we're in Ephesians 4, verses 17 through 24. Paul's warning us of the danger of slipping back into old ways of living before Christ. Now, Alex last week uh, did a phenomenal job taking us through 3, 14 through 21, and you should listen to that, um, but you'll notice that we jumped ahead to 17. Do you guys remember why? Because we've already done 4, 1 through 16. We did that, we, we interspersed it in what we were doing the first three chapters for a reason. So we didn't skip it. If you want to catch up, you can go back and listen to that on our podcast. But we're starting this morning with Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17. I'm going to start reading. I'm just going to do a couple verses to start with. Ephesians 4, 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, to say that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, let's just say no longer walk as unbelievers do, as people without God in their life do. He must, it must mean that it's possible to live that way that they once lived apart from Christ. Or else he wouldn't have to tell them, don't, don't go back to that. You can no longer live that way. You can no longer walk in the ways that you once walked before Christ. For him to have to say that means that probably some of them are slipping back into those old habits. For him to say that means it is possible for us to do the same thing. So he says, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Peter in 1 Peter, I think it's, it's the first chapter of 1 Peter, he says that we've been redeemed from the empty way of lives handed down to us from our forefathers. Our lives according to Peter's theology and Paul's theology, really don't amount to a lot of meaning apart from living in the kingdom. So apart from God, we had this futile way of thinking, this purposeless way of thinking. And again, um, you know, when I, was, when I was exploring whether or not I wanted to be a Christian, I don't know if I would have agreed with that because you can do some pretty important and pretty good things in this world, but what he's talking about at a spiritual level, you need the Spirit of God in you to do spiritual things and to have spiritual accomplishments, which are the things that last forever. So that's what he's talking about. doesn't mean you can't still do good things while you're here on earth. 
They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of hearts. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Now Paul is describing in those sentences, you can almost underline the whole thing, what does it look like to live apart from God? What does it look like to be your own source of life and goodness? What does it look like to stiff arm God and say, I'm going to do it my way? Well, what it looks like is you gradually start doing everything that you want to do, which is really bad for us. You begin to live without constraints. That's what it looks like in verse 19. Given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. In other words, whatever they want to do, they do. And what it is is a life with no constraints, which is really bad for us. We're not meant to live lives with no constraints. A constraint is something that limits your freedom to do what you want. We're not supposed to live that way. Because the freedom to do whatever we want to do means that we know what's best for us to do, and we don't. We're going to choose the wrong things. We have to have constraints on our freedom. We have to. That's what makes us alive and active in Christ. Even at the beginning of creation, when the world was perfectly innocent, humanity was perfectly innocent. They never did anything wrong yet. God gave them a constraint, didn't he? He said, you can eat of every tree except for one. You can't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Even before sin corrupted the world, God still gave them a constraint. It's not good for humans to live lives without constraints. The Ten Commandments are constraints. They tell us what we can do and what we cannot do. I had a, when I was in North Carolina one time visiting my um, in-laws, her, Kara's dad gave me a stunt kite, which is a trip. Those things are hilarious. But I took this stunt kite, I mean, I had no idea what I was doing. I thought you just like put it on a string and it just goes up in the air. That's not a stunt kite. A stunt kite is very sophisticated. You have to steer it and everything. I didn't really get any lessons. He just said, go have fun with it at the beach. So we went to the beach with the family and I hadn't put the string on it or anything. I just figured out how to assemble this thing because you have to assemble a stunt kite. And it got out of my hands and it just kept like whirling and slamming into the sand and then whirling and slamming it. And then it starts coming after me and it's just, it's all over the place. It's a mess. I can't do it to do anything. I can't get to cooperate. But then when I put the strings on it, and there's two strings, a stunt kite, you set it in the gr- and, and the gr- on the ground in the sand, and you walk away from it, and then you lift it like this, and it goes up into the air. And for a little while, it was in the air, not for long. I almost killed people walking by because it's like an airplane, and it's insane trying to, every little thing, it steers wildly. But for a while, it was up in the air because a kite needs a constraint in order to do what was created to do. Without the constraint and the tension of the string, it wouldn't be able to fly. We need constraints. There's a story of, um, and this has been told in a million sermons, and I'm probably making some of it up because I didn't look it up, but there's like this, I'm just being the honest preacher this morning. There's this, uh, 
there's this like group of kids and they are at a playground at a school and it's a it's by a highway and these kids go out for recess at this playground and they're all huddled together in this anxious mass in the middle of the playground they're afraid to go play on the equipment that's on the the edges of the playground they just all kind of huddle together and then one day they built a fence around this playground you know what happened they all went and played every piece of equipment was being used they weren't anxious they weren't scared they weren't nervous because there was a constraint saying you can't go any further than this if you stay within this fenced area you're safe we were made to live with constraints and the lie that our society believes is that telling people they can do whatever they want to do will make them happy and it's actually very unloving to say that it's very unkind to say that it's very unhelpful to say that and here's the twist as followers of Jesus, the constraints on the, aren't on the outside anymore. They're on the inside. We don't need to look at the Ten Commandments and make a checklist of how good we did on each of those commandments every day. Because as we learn to follow the Lord and we get the personality of God in us, the Spirit changes us so that we become the type of people who do the right thing naturally. We're not going to get there right away, but that's where we're headed with discipleship. The internal constraint is what changes us, is what tells us what to do and what not to do. And that is educated by Scripture. You know what a speed governor is? You can put a speed governor in a car and it'll make it so that you can't drive past a certain speed limit. My daughter, Abby, is, I've been riding with her a lot. She's going to be getting her license one of these days and we're going to put a speed governor in there. She can't go faster than 15 miles an hour. It's going to be really, it's going to be amazing and I feel totally fine about my daughter getting her driver's license. I don't know what your guys' problem is. Um, so the speed governor for a Christian is the Holy Spirit who constrains us. Now we partner with the Holy Spirit, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But I want us to read verses 20 through 24 now. Let's see how the Spirit partners with us in this way. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self. Now, the Spirit already started that process. He's already made you a new creation. We'll get to that. Which belongs to your former manner of life. So that old identity, you, act a you acted a certain way as your old self. You acted in these old ways. Your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. Hmm. How do we prevent ourselves from slipping back into old habits? Because the truth is the Holy Spirit, God has made us a new person in Christ once we put our faith in him, once we surrender to the work that Christ did for us on the cross and in his resurrection. And in his ascension, when we put our faith that God made a way for us, Jesus made a way for us to be part of God's eternal family and kingdom, 
we instantly become a new person. That's 2 Corinthians 5.17. I couldn't remember last week. I came right back around to it. It's 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. You're not making yourself a new creation. God has done that as you put your faith in Christ. But what's our role? How do we prevent ourselves from slipping back into old habits? It says right here in this passage, first put off your old self, verse 22. Put off your old self. It says our old self was corrupted by deceitful desires. And what we need to do is learn how to have a a healthy distrust of old deceitful desires. Now I used to, I haven't talked about this in a while, so we're going to talk about it. I used to like chocolate chip cookie dough. This is really important. And we used to, our Christmas Eve was we would have the mattresses out on the floor by the Christmas tree, me, Kara, and the girls, and we would watch Elf, and we would each get our favorite snack, and we would just gorge ourselves. This is not a message about gluttony. I am eating every year a tub, a tub of chocolate chip cookie dough. Now that was a deceitful desire. Some of you are very disappointed. I can see your disappointment. It was a tub of chocolate chip cookie dough. And I loved this stuff. This stuff was so good. I would eat it with a spoon. I would just sit there. By the end of Elf, it was like halfway done or all the way done, maybe sometimes, whatever. And I just, I felt great and then terrible. I couldn't sleep. I was all over the place. I'd wake up in the morning and Christmas morning was terrible because I just felt horrible. I didn't know there was like such a thing as a sugar hangover. It was a really bad experience, but it was a deceitful desire because I didn't know any better. Now, if I would go back to that today, now that I know what kind of sugar does to your body, at least that much sugar, um, it would be like a dog returning to its vomit is what the Bible says. Isn't that an interesting isn't that a great picture? Now, if you have dogs, you get it. We have dogs that throw up all over the place, and they try to go lick it up. Dogs return to their vomit. This is Proverbs 26, 11. Like a dog that returns to his vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. If you don't put off your old self, if you don't put off your old habits, you'll go back to them. If you don't go put off who you once were, you'll go back to that person. Because there is this strong and powerful pull back to the lesser version of yourself. Actually, I'm going to walk you through. If you, have, if you want to turn here, you can. Keep, I've always wanted to say this. I've never said this as a pastor. Keep your thumbs in Ephesians 4 and turn over to 2 Peter. <laughs> that just sounds like that is the most pastor-sounding thing. But actually, turn to 2 Peter if you want to, or you can just listen. It's 2 Peter 2, 20 and 21. We're talking about going back to the old ways of life before Christ, right? For if after having, they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, our knowledge of him, our faith in him, he's rescued us because of our surrender to what he's done for us, they're going, they're again entangled in them and overcome. The last state 
has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. And what Peter's saying, this isn't a salvation issue, you cannot lose your salvation. What he's saying is once you have tasted the goodness of living the way that God designed and created us to live, which is spelled out in the moral code of Scripture, and you go back to the old ways, it's worse than when it, you're, you're worse than when you were when you turned to Christ. It would have been better if you'd have never done that as far as your moral character because you, go, you just slide so much further back than you were before. It's a really confusing and hard to understand and strange thing. And I've had to spend a lot of time thinking about that, but I've, I've actually seen it and I've actually been, um, I've caught myself falling back into old patterns and it does feel worse than before. And I think part of it is because our conscience is more sensitive to the spirit and we're more um, aware of how we're grieving the spirit of God. And when you're part of his family, he's gonna, he's gonna act sharply out of love because love has an edge, edge to it sometimes to get you back on the right path. It's a warning to not go back to living the way you lived apart from Christ. So we're supposed to put some things off, our old ways of living, the old self, the old habits, the old ways of understanding, the old values, to put those off, but we're supposed to put on something else. We're supposed to put on the new self, which is verse 24, which is simply, it's, it's simply acting into the person that you actually are. Because you are hidden in Christ, when the Father looks at you, he sees the perfection of Jesus. That's your standing before him. Now, he knows that you have some work to do morally, and the Spirit's going to help you do that. But as far as your justification, as far as your being made right with the Father permanently, he sees the perfection of Jesus. Jesus traded lives with you. At, on the cross, Jesus looked like us to the Father so that we might look like Jesus after the cross when we put our faith in him. So God sees us as... As far as our standing in our relationship with him, we're in the family, and we're in the family forever. But there's things that we're supposed to do to begin acting out of this new identity and begin acting the way that God actually sees us, and that's a lifelong process of Christian growth. When it says renewed in the spirit of your minds, I think what he's saying is that the spirit helps re-educate our desires. So those deceitful desires of the old self, God gives us better desires. He actually fulfills those desires in ways that we couldn't ever fulfill them apart from God. He re-educates our desires. So the cookie dough thing. It wasn't too long after that that Kara, with great love for her family, decided that we were going to do this Whole30, I think, is the Whole30 thing. You guys ever heard of that? You basically, you're eating grass and salads and things like that and maybe healthy protein, but there's like, you can't, there's some fruits you can't even eat. You're just like very strict with what you're eating so that you can, and you do this for 30 days and then you start introducing the other things like the sugar and things like that, but you can see how your body reacts to those things. So after 30, I mean, the first 10 days you have the, 
it's, you, it feels like the flu, you just feel terrible. But then you start getting more clear-eyed, you feel better, you have more energy. And then you start reintroducing these things. Well, during that period, my taste buds and my desires for food were re-educated. I saw, man, cookie doughs, that's a deceitful desire. I probably shouldn't binge on that. That's probably not good for me. The Spirit was re-educating. Well, Kara was re-educating my desires there, but the Spirit re-educates our desires as it relates to walking with Jesus and living morally. Paul's saying the Spirit will give us new desires to replace the old desires, and our job is to partner with God as he's doing that. That's what it means. There's three application questions to bring us to a close here. Because this has to be practical. We have to be able to do something with this. I want you to be able to do something different today when you go home because of this teaching. So here's what it is. What part of your old self needs to be put off? What do you need to stop doing? And I don't need to give illustrations for this because you probably already know what it is. Where are you like a dog returning to its vomit? Two, what part of your new self needs to be put on? You've already been made new in Christ. And Christian growth is all, it's, it's, a lot of it is about replacing. You can't just say, you can't just stop doing something and leave it as a vacuum because you'll go back to that thing and do it even more. So if I, I, for me to tell you what not to do is, is not helpful. Don't think of a pink elephant. You guys heard of that? Don't think of a pink elephant in your mind right now. Seriously, don't have that vision of a pink elephant in your mind. You can't do that. You have to replace it with something else. Think of a palm tree. That's how it is with Christian growth. You can't just get rid of these deceitful desires. You have to replace those desires with something else. Otherwise, you're just like, don't think about that. Don't think about that. That's, that's impossible for anybody, even with the Spirit of God in you. You need to replace it. It could be with Scripture. It could be with new patterns. It could be new practices. It could be with a new way of praying. But replacement is essential when it comes to Christian growth. So put off sloth, for example, which is waiting on the couch for the world to come to you, and put on diligence, which is exercising the gift of responsibility over the life God has entrusted to you. Put off fear, which is rehearsing all the bad things, that, or worry, actually. Fear's good. Worry is rehearsing all the bad things that could happen to you. And put on faith, rehearsing all the good things that God is doing for you. Put off lust, which is using others for our good. Put on love, which is allowing others to use us for their good. Every counterfeit desire has an opposite, more powerful desire that is rooted in the kingdom. And your job is to find it and to discover it. Put, on pride and, put off pride and put on humility. That's number two. What part of your new self needs to be put on? And finally, number three, strengthen the spiritual muscle of constraint. It's important to know what is God's responsibility and what is our responsibility in Christian growth. God has made you a new person. He's given you himself, the Holy Spirit. He's given you the authority of Jesus. He's given you un merited favor and provision from the Father through the Spirit because of Jesus. He's given you intimacy and relationship with the Father, Son, and the Spirit. 
No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. That's what Psalm 84.11 says. He's given you everything that you need. That's what he's done. And so what's our responsibility in this? Our responsibility is to accept those things, to believe those things, and in light of those things, to train ourselves in godliness. 1 Timothy 4, 7 through 8 says, Train yourself for godliness, for while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also the life to come. So what he's saying there is, you should take care of your bodies. There's value in that. But one day your body's going to die. And so you should be training yourself now in ways that are going to affect your life now and in the life to come. Because you're becoming the type of person now that you will be forever. You realize that? Whichever direction you're going. You're becoming the type of person now that you will be forever in eternity. So if you train yourself in godliness, not only is it going to help your relationships here, not only is it going to help your life here, not only is it going to give you more and deeper and more profound contentment and joy and peace now, it's going to affect you now, but it's also going to affect your eternity. Because out of, out of who you are becoming, you're going to do some things that are interesting and helpful for the kingdom. And you get rewards for those. So train yourself for godliness by exercising the muscle of constraint in this case. And the way that you exercise the muscle of constraint, the best way that I know, there's a practice that's called fasting. This is a real, genuine, down-to-earth, plain-speak way to exercise constraint. And nothing exercises that muscle for me more than fasting. And not every one of you should fast from food. Fasting means abstaining from something. If that's a thing for you, if food is a thing for you, you shouldn't fast from food. You can fast from technology. You can fast from your phone. You can fast from worry. You can fast from anything you want to that opposes what God's trying to do in you. If you're able to, nothing shakes up the system more than food, though. So every week, perhaps it would be fruitful for you to say, I'm going to fast. I'm not going to eat two consecutive meals. And watch what rises to the surface. You have no idea how desperately you need to go to food to be comforted. <laughs> you have no idea how strong a pull food has on you to feel better about life or to distract yourself from the things that are really hurting you. Food is a powerful narcotic in a lot of ways. And when you commit to fasting from food, you're saying, I'm constraining myself willingly so that I can constrain myself spontaneously in other things that are not as good for me. Nothing exercises the muscle of constraint better than fasting. So when you don't eat, you have this extra time for breakfast or lunch, you can spend that time talking with the Lord about what you're experiencing and being very honest about it and asking him to redeem the suffering that you're experiencing in order to strengthen you so that when temptation comes to bring back the old self, to go back to the old vomit, your body is used to your mind saying, there's some things you're not allowed doing. Let's pray.
Man, there's always a pull, Lord, to, to go back to old ways. There are ditches built into our brains that lead us back to old habits, old beliefs, old values, old practices. And apart from your Holy Spirit making us new as we put our faith in Christ, there would be no way we could overcome we would continually go back to the old person that we once were, but we don't have to do that in Christ because we have the wind at our back towards the new person and your spirit is the wind in us. And so I pray that you would teach us, each of us today, here, now, ways that we can partner with what you're doing in our lives to become more and more the new self that you've given us as our identity. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. Check out our website at southsideworcester.com.